how do you even follow that? Yeah, I know. Like, where do we go from here? <laughs> Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is officially week three of 2022, or if you work at Microsoft, it's week 55 of 2021. I'm Chris Louie, and today I'm wearing my Slammin' Salmon sweater, and with me, I have my co-host, Brian Deach, who now knows what that is. I know what it is, but I, I really wish I didn't. Do you ever even wash that thing? Yeah, why wouldn't I wash it? Because you don't wash your hands when you take a leak, so. <laughs> oh, that wasn't you? That wasn't me. You don't, you're, you're not able to call me out on that one. <laughs> Can't say I didn't try. Uh, Glenn, unfortunately, had to cancel last minute, and he and his family are in our thoughts, but I am happy to say that we have a guest this week, and as a bonus, he's an international guest and has the most awesome first name. Welcome, Chris Young from the great country of Canada. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Chris Young. I am from the wonderful, uh, you know, the, what are we calling it? What was, it's the, used to be the um, apartment on top of a great, of a great uh, party, but now it's kind of like, you know, over top of a crack house. Is that <laughs> something <Fair>. like that? <laughs> yeah, no, I am, I am the place where it's cold and we wonder why we live here. What is the best time to be in Canada? Um, that is totally dependent on where you live, right? The Canada, like, again, we're a huge country. Um, so in where I'm actually, I'm out of Quebec, somewhere between June and July is uh, one of the best places to be in the world, right? When everything's all opened up, there's jazz fest, there's just for laughs. There is all this, these amazing shows that you can go see. Um, just phenomenal this time of year. Uh, not so much. It's just cold. Did you say cold. jazz fest? Yeah, the Montreal Jazz Fest. Yeah, never... yeah, it's it is amazing. It's, you you, have an you will audio see file, like this is don't we? this is the well. It's you just get to go out and you get to see people in the street. All free shows everywhere, so I can be cheap as well. Um, but you'll you'll see like amazing artists come out of nowhere and play uh, when they don't play anymore. They've been retired for like fifteen years, and you'll still be able to go see them. Just amazing. Yeah, Brian at Jazz Fest. He's he's definitely coming up in June now. I got news for you. I hate live music, so I will never be seen at a concert. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm as as an introvert. I'm uh, I'm not too upset about the fact that I'm not rubbing uh, elbows against people in public right now. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. A bit of closing the loop. For those of you wondering why some Microsoft employees are currently on week 55 of 2021, this relates to our story last week where Exchange servers crashed because they couldn't take an update file that started with the number 22, which indicated the year 2022. Well, instead of fixing the underlying issue using signed integers for software updates, Microsoft pushed out January 2022's update as, wait for it, December 33. 2021. Yes, they are kicking the can down the road instead of fixing the problem. The other bit of closing the loop news is last week we reported that Norton Antivirus installs a crypto miner by default now, and Norton owned Avast and Avira antivirus programs are also installing the same crypto miners, reaching up to a billion more people because 
each of those AV software boasts that they have about 500 million installs each. Your, your comment on week 55 reminds me of like when the, the first time they asked a girl out on a date, she's like, yeah, how about Octoberthon 35th, you know, 2047. I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't exist. You're a jerk. <laughs> that happened uh, this, to you a lot, Brian. <laughs> maybe it did. I don't know if you guys saw this from a Microsoft perspective. It's like they should have learned their lesson. Um, there was a, There was even a Windows 95 issue where it was a known issue that Windows 95 could not survive past like being booted for 53 days. There was some like very specific strange number to which most of us responded, I've never seen a Windows 95 box stay up for 53 days. So it's <laughs> amazing that they found it, but still that's it's- That's the joke, yeah. <laughs> that's the joke, but I'm not actually joking. Like you can go Google this and it was a real thing. It, it just like, again, technical debt for the win. Wasn't there like yeah. a, a Linux based one too? It was like 235 days and it, it, the, the, the box would restart as well. Do you guys remember that or no? I don't remember that one specifically. I don't remember that one. It's Linux, usually epoch timing tends to have less issues in my, yeah. in my brain. There's another funny story related to guidance systems on missiles. And this guidance system had a, a pretty bad memory leak that they just never bothered to fix because they said, you know, by the time this missile is shot off, it will find its target and explode before this memory leak ever becomes a problem. So they just never fix the memory leak. <laughs> That's not, not scary. What would happen if you actually reached the threshold? Would it just stop flying? Would it just detonate? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess the guidance system would just shut down and It'd probably just fall from the sky, I would guess. <laughs> the engineer in me kind of admires that kind of ruthless pragmatism. Yeah. Like, I don't have to, if, if, it, if it's never going to happen, it's not really a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Why waste precious cycles on fixing a problem that should, in theory, never never materialize? Although, that's, that's the same logic that got us to Y2K. People were thinking we'll never get to the year 2000, you think? Well, they said, hopefully, by the year 2000, people would have fixed this issue. Memory would have become so cheap that we can actually store all four bits of the year. And it was just the the curse of the inertia. That people are just like, oh, we'll just kick the can down the road, just like, just like Microsoft's doing right now. Do you guys remember where you were at, at Y2K? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was at home. Yeah, I think we were at home just yeah taking it easy and not we didn't have any irrational fear that that planes would fall from the sky and nuclear plants would melt down it was just yeah we're just sitting at home watch the tv watch the ball drop and yeah pretty uneventful it was better than mine i was babysitting an exchange 55 server so <laughs> watching nothing happen it was it was kind of awesome and look at you guys with your real jobs and lives like, meanwhile i was just hanging out you know drinking beers having a good time now, I will admit, I actually, you know, bailed at about 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. in the morning and, and uh, went over and had beers and had a good time. But, yeah, at, at the drop of the ball. I actually had a girlfriend. Me, me, at, me and Clippy. I had a girlfriend at that point in time. And um, probably the eight months leading up to that, he was like a, an engineer or something that he, he worked for one of the utility customers in Arizona. And he was like, I, I visually watched him turn gray over those eight months of patching and whatnot. Like they were, he was like, he's like, you understand. He's like, Arizona's going dark. He's like, unless we get our stuff, we're like, it's, we are so screwed. And like, he visually just start balding and losing all his hair. It was, it was wild. 
Oh, thankfully, Arizona didn't go dark, so he did good work there. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, the things we've seen. Oh, yeah. Well, for our opening topic, when we had Brad on, the first Canadian guest we had on, we asked him something interesting about Canada that would surprise Americans. So I'll turn the question around and say, Chris, what is something non-political about America that surprises Canadians? My honest answer to that is that we get pretty much all of the American um, media, so there's really nothing about you that surprises us anymore. It's just, it is what it is. You're people, we're people, and we just go on about our business. You know, that's that's the safest way I can possibly answer that question. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what about the ability in Arizona to like do either open or concealed carry without a permit? Did you know that? Absolutely. I, I have driven in cars where the person beside me actually had the uh, the firearm there. Um, it's it's part of your culture. It's what you guys do, right? Um, there are things, yeah, I just accept it. I, I, you know, when you come to my place, you better bring a uh, a winter jacket. Right. I I totally get and I have friends in the Arizona um, Gilbert, kind of close to where you are, I think, um, that they have to go out with their UV rays looking for scorpions in the bathroom at night. Something I will never experience. So, um, you know, we we all have our challenges in the places we live. Yeah, it's like a when in Rome situation. You know, when, when we come visit you, we got to we got to eat at Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons, a little maple syrup and, you know, it'll it'll all be great. Brian, did you know that Canada has a strategic maple syrup reserve? Like, you know how the U.S. has a strategic petroleum reserve that we tap into during times of war? But Canada has a strategic maple syrup reserve. Did, no, I did not know that. Did you guys... Uh, this like, is true. Tap into it and like 50 billion barrels to China? Uh, no, but there was a great maple syrup heist not too long ago, and there was a fear of uh, affecting... Um, releasing large amounts of maple syrup onto the market and affecting the maple syrup price. Okay. You cannot make this stuff up. So what do you put maple syrup on? Blow our minds right now. Don't tell me steak. Uh, <laughs> me? Me, not much. I'm like a broken Canadian, and I don't do poutine either. Right? No so, poutine? Um, yeah, no. Can't do it. Sorry. Yeah. Now, you, you, and that was official a Canadian sorry, so you know it's true. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Yeah, I'm I'm an American. I love poutine. I, anytime I go north of the border, I always have to get the poutine. All right, for our first topic, we have an interesting supply chain attack. A group of hackers infiltrated a video playing service to serve up some information stealers. The video playing service is used by dozens of real estate companies to host and play videos and 3D tours of their real estate listings. The video player loads JavaScript, and an attacker was able to insert malicious Java code into the video players to steal the user's form data. These information stealers are often referred to as MageCart and used to scrape form data such as first name, last name, address, usernames, and credit card numbers. One particular hazard that's specific to real estate is the threat of a business email compromise attack. The attackers know that the users are looking at real estate listings, so that gives them an opportunity to send them false wire transfer information to trick the buyer into wiring the money into the attacker's account instead of the escrow company. I don't even know what to think about this. This, this is one of those things where IT is like IT security has to be everybody's responsibility, and at the same time, um, 
I think of what I go through on a uh, after hours weekly basis with my kids, girlfriend, and you know the I as an IT security practitioner, I can't get my girlfriend to do good passwords. How are normal people ever going to be able to deal with things like this? Like this is get insurance, call it a day. <laughs> I'm, I, I've always almost given up. When I read this article, I was like, like how wild would it be if you didn't really care about the information that you were stealing as much as you just wanted to like hijack the 3D virtual tours, like you you know, go click on a house and all of a sudden you're in like 3D doom. That would be pretty rad. Or it was just like clip outs, like you, oh, I'm gonna go check out this bathroom. And next thing you know, you're you're wandering around like in the the bathroom from Saw. Like that would be <laughs> that would be just pretty wild. Master but, troll people. <laughs> yeah, or you like, could get the the Barney plugin on top of Doom. Remember that where they skinned all the Doom monsters with Barney? Like yeah, there's yeah, equally as terrifying. One. How how crazy would it be yeah. though if like that attracted like uh, you know potential buyers? They're like, yeah, man, I saw that jacked up bathroom you had. Uh, I want to put an offer in on it. Yeah, you get the right kind of audience. That's a, it's a feature. That's not a bug. It's a niche. at the risk of giving people ideas. Like there's just there's so many places that this once you have this information, you could take this. Like you know when people, if you have their addresses, you have their names. You know when they're visiting the houses because you have access to the cameras. Like there there's all of this stuff potentially that you could just use this in bad ways. It's um, yeah, it is. It is. I just shake my head and again, nothing surprises me anymore. I remember back in the day, did you guys ever use no script, like the Firefox plugin, no script, like it just block yeah. all JavaScript, like yep. those were good days, but then nowadays there's, there's literally nothing that will load if you have no script involved, because there's just so much JavaScript out there. And I mean, plugins like uBlock and Brave, they try to block as much as they can, you know, PyHole tries to block as much as they can, but you just cannot get away with blocking JavaScript anymore. No, absolutely not. Like that's fundamentally like I, I think ios internally uses uh javascript everywhere it's probably obfuscated and, and abstracted away by swift at this point but you know node.js there's all of that like javascript is a real programming language now it's not just javascript anymore they've been saying that for years yeah I, and i'm sure there will be two people on the internet now arguing because we made that comment but yes i will choose to stay out of that argument Sometimes I look at the my like the pie hole stats, and uh, I'm on a new machine. Of course, I don't have it um, bookmarked, but I think it's like somewhere in the vicinity of like 35% of all DNS queries are are advertising or something like that based. I could be wrong. Yeah, that sounds oh, reasonable. No, eight, like eighteen point five. Sorry, just loaded. I, that actually sounds low to me, but. Yeah, like they say, ninety nine percent of all email in existence is spam. I'm like, yeah, I could, I could see that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it never makes it into your inbox because we have pretty good filtering nowadays. But I'd argue you know, that one hundred percent of, all of my email is spam. Is spam? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry to all the account yeah, managers. I mean, <laughs> our next topic, in a throwback to the 2010s, the advanced persistent threat group named Fin Seven believed to be responsible for the Black Matter and Darkseid ransomware attacks. It's going full hipster and bringing back old-school hacking techniques by mailing infected USB devices to its victims. The USB devices are not, are not the old-school auto-run variety since Windows disabled that back in Windows 7, but the bad USB-slash-rubber-ducky type attack where a victim 
plugs the USB device into their machine. It enumerates as a USB keyboard and injects malicious keystrokes to download a malicious payload and run malicious PowerShell scripts. Forget finding zero-day exploits or hiring initial access brokers. Hackers are relying on the old sneaker net to spread their malware. Like how, how desperate are you to go out and literally spend money in hope that you, you get this? I mean, like if it was like a stateside attack, I can assume like that's, that's fine. But like at $50 a pop, I think is what they, they probably cost either the rubber ducky or the bad USB. Like that's kind of a lot of money just to hope and pray that you, you get somebody. I think there's better ways of doing it. Well, to them, it's an investment. You spend 50 bucks and then you get access into a corporate network. They're like, that might be worth it for them. No, you're going to spend 5,000, right? Like that penetration rate is probably low as hell. Well, is it is it homegrown? Is it just like are they spending you know two bucks on a USB stick and then just using their own custom code on it, or are they actually paying for rubber ducky? Like, there's if I'm doing this based on just a USB key and I'm producing mass quantities of these things, you could probably get again. It's like anything economies of scale. Buy in bulk, get a get a deal directly from the supplier. This is what I would do. I would just go to like either kind of a lower end hotel, not like a Marriott or maybe a boutique hotel. You know that if they have like a little internet cafe, they have zero security on there. And if they do, like you can disable it very, very easily. I would go over there and install like a man in the browser type of um, thing or Emotet and sit back and call it a day, right? You're going to have tons of people that are traveling. Usually people that travel, uh, they have a disposable income. Uh, chances are, I would assume that the ability to compromise someone's username and password for like Southwest Airlines and hope that that's being reused at their banking login would probably have a better penetration rate than the bad USB method of it. But I guess I could be wrong. Yeah, I think the lesson here really is that things that worked 10 years ago still work, right? People, you know, that, that's, we, we, especially in what we do, we focus on a lot of the more advanced threats and I would hazard to guess that the majority of networks you walk into, you will probably still be able to do ARP poisoning attacks against their gateways. You will probably still be able to do DHCP exhaustion attacks. You will still be able to, you know, do all of the ARP overspeed to cause their switches to act like like hubs. Like that stuff all still works because I think we we got so focused on AppSec and other things that we just stopped protecting against some of those low level threats. Yeah, so definitely. It's, I mean. I think these like USB-based attacks, I mean, that really highlights the need for defense in depth. You got to protect the endpoints. You got to educate users not to plug random USB devices in their computer. I mean, that sort of goes without saying, but still, that's, sometimes it still needs to be said. If you find a USB device in the parking lot, throw it in the trash. Don't don't plug it in your computer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like with your kids. Hey, you know, if you find something on the ground, don't put that in your mouth. Yep, exactly. Yeah, what sometimes you, you, you have to treat the users that way. Sorry, Brian. What'd you do if you found a, a Ledger Nano X, something for crypto? First of all, you need to know the password to unlock it. And I guess technically, if you, you first of all, you can guess the password. You could see if it's like one, two, three, four. And then after 10 incorrect attempts, it actually wipes itself. So you could actually wipe it and use it for your own crypto, assuming it's not a compromised device, which is also a possibility. How easy do you think it would be to, to rewrite that OS and compromise it? The attacks using the ledger devices 
they don't actually take the ledger and rewrite it. They use a USB, like a USB device, and they put it in a form factor that looks like a ledger. And then when you plug it into your computer, it enumerates as a USB flash drive. It says, open up this ledger software, enter your recovery key into that software, and then it's that sends it off to the attacker that way. So they don't they don't compromise the actual ledger device because I think that's pretty secure. It's got the signed firmware and the like, but they take the form factor and use like a standard USB drive and make it look like a ledger. So should we spend like two minutes explaining to what the hell we're talking about for like the 95% <laughs> of the audience that has no idea what we're talking about? Go for it, Brian, since you just got one and you can explain it. No, I don't want to talk. All right, I'll talk about it. So basically just a, it's a, it's a hardware it's a piece of hardware. It's a, it's a crypto wallet, right? So as you are doing your trading and your bidding in life, this is your own unique wallet. And let's say that you use either Robinhood or uh, Coinbase and you decide that, Hey, you know what? I don't want to store it digitally. I want to put it on my own computer. Uh, how do you take that up a notch? You get a piece of hardware that you plug in and that that's literally it. And then you maybe throw it in a fireproof safe and you can have, you know, it's password protected and all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, there's some pros and cons, right? Like, number one, you don't have to worry about, like, Coinbase ever getting breached and losing all your information. But on the flip side, if your house goes up in flames, you better hope that uh, that safe you have actually works or else you're going to be out some scratch for sure. Or if you forget your password. Or if you forget your password. There's, I have no idea if it's an urban myth or not, but there's some story of a guy floating around that he's got a Bitcoin wallet and forgot his password and he's got, I don't know, millions or some some stupid amount of money in it and he just it's just it's gone so that 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 is a true story because the encrypted device that his password is his, his wallet is stored on is actually my former employer iron key so he stuck his crypto wallet on an iron key device and i can tell you because i work there uh it, it there's no back door there's just no way to recover it if you don't know the password you're not getting in and after 10 unsuccessful attempts the device literally self-destructs like it's gone for good like no one can ever recover it and i think he's on password try number seven right now and at the time when the article was published he had about 220 million dollars it was actually he's actually one of the co-founders of some big tech company but yeah he's got 220 million dollars in crypto on this encrypted hard drive doesn't know the password no back doors uh i, I don't know what he's hoping for well, when you have physical access to a device, like all bets are off. Like, isn't there a way, unless there's some sort of weird hardware enclave, couldn't they take it apart, pull it off, and then just, you know, you, you know, your first 10 tries, you do it, blows up that, that wallet. That's okay. You still have the original. Make a copy of it again. So I'm, I'm going back into my Iron Keys SE mode here. And <laughs> the answer is no. The, the way that the crypto is, is implemented, the way that it, it's done is, you know, once the... Once the device is destroyed, you could you know, physically pull off the NANDs, but you're never going to be able to to break the AES encryption on that. I, I'm just really hoping that the, the listeners at home don't learn that the lesson here is put your password on a post-it note. <laughs> well, there's, there's also that guy that's uh, going through the uh, the trash, right? Looking for it. The garbage dump. Yeah. 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 He threw away his hard drive that had millions in crypto on it. It's worth millions now. Back then it was nothing. And then, yeah, he's... Mounting search. They even did a skit about that on Silicon Valley about when Russ was going through the the landfill and like that. That's inspired by a true story. We were getting so far off topic. <laughs> All right, to bring us back on topic, <laughs> we'll we'll go to our next story. 
uh, also related to tech. Uh, we're going to be talking about patent law here in the U.S., so just stick with us. I promise it's not going to be boring. Let's rewind the clock back to 2013 when a tiny speaker company called Sonos pitched their technology to the tech giant Google to integrate their technology into Google's speakers. Google's breaking into the speaker market at that time. They're going to launch Google Home and other smart assistants, and Sonos wanted Google to license their tech to put on these, these speakers. So Sonos went open kimono, so to speak, and gave Google an in-depth look at their technology in good faith that Google would eventually license their tech or maybe even acquire the company. Well, Google declined the partnership with Sonos and they parted ways. But two years later, Google launches a line of speakers and smart assistants that, that guess, wait for it, contained Sonos's technology. So when they originally met with Sonos, it was a classic brain raid where a big tech company invites a smaller company to reveal their technology in the hopes of a partnership only to steal their ideas and integrate it in themselves. Well, Sonos sued Google last year, or it's actually two years ago now, and they won in court after a lengthy legal battle. David beat Goliath, and Sonos was expecting a huge payday with damages and future licensing deals from Google. Rather than pay Sonos a licensing fee, Google will be sending downgrades to all their speakers and smart devices effectively disabling the features that Google infringed on from Sonos. This is an ultimate troll move, and Google fully anticipated this outcome since they had the patches ready as soon as the verdict came down. This is so interesting in so many ways. So for those those of you at home not familiar with Sonos, their claim to fame really is they are a um, sub-thousand dollar, multi-room, almost audiophile quality solution right so you can do multi-room audio with it and that's really i think where google was probably infringing on the patents i haven't looked into that but so first off yeah good on them right good on protecting intellectual property rights i'm all for that but this also gets you into some of the the interesting questions around what from a from a customer perspective i bought all of these google products i bought them with features inside them where is like where is my protection as a consumer? Like the features no longer exist. They bought them when I bought the product. So from like, what happens there? Which gets you into the whole like, what responsibility do IoT, you know, the subscription software, where does that line get drawn? There's just, I'm, I, I love this particular segment of the market and what's going on there because it's all sorts of, well, depending on how you look at it, there's a lot of different, uh, everybody's right and everybody's wrong. So I think that 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 will come in the form of a class action between consumers suing Google. And I'm sure some bean counter at Google anticipated this and did the math and says, well, to keep the features and license it and pay damages is going to cost us X to face a potential class action lawsuit of these features getting removed is going to cost Y. And then they just balanced that out and made the decision. I, I'm, I'm guessing something like that has already happened. Yeah, and, and it is Google. So, you know, they just might kill everything like Google Reader. Rest in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So number one, F Google, right? I'm happy that they got screwed on this. Uh, and two, F Sonos too. I think all their stuff is like overhyped and overpriced garbage. I don't think that it really needs to, to warrant that kind of cost, to be honest with you. But with that said, one of the, the things that I really love about the company that I work for right now is that there's an underlying mantra of do the right thing no matter what. 
And I think Google knows exactly what the right thing is to do here, but they're not going to do it, right? Obviously, they, they had firmware re- uh, released and ready to go. And, you know, just it's disgusting at the same time, right? And I think that gives me a little bit more clarity in life. I mean, even happier where I'm working at right now. Do no evil. Remember that? I was going to say, like, do you guys remember Google's original mantra, do no evil? I think, I don't know, they've, they've strayed quite far from that. I don't know if it's a result of having to be responsible to the shareholders and keeping up this growth. Is is this, you know, do they have some type of responsibility to society? And I mean, you know, to Google's credit, I do give them, I do give them credit for some of the decisions they made. Like when they, they tried to break into China, China's a huge, huge market for them. And the Chinese government says, if you want to operate here, you must censor things like Tiananmen Square. You must censor things like Winnie the Pooh. And Google said, no, we're, we're going to draw a line in the sand. We're not going to do it. And then they got kicked out. And this was a months long battle internally within Google. It's like, do we give up all this potential revenue to exit China? Should we placate to the Chinese government and do what they want? And, you know, in my opinion, Google did the right thing and to, to not censor it. But I mean, you know, there's still Baidu there and ultimately nothing changed, but, you know, Google did take a stand and I I think they're on the right side for for what they chose to to exit the Chinese market rather than censor the internet. Here's the big difference between China and the U.S. China is straight up about like what they're doing, the control that they have, and the U.S. just lies about it. So uh, you're going to have to bleep this out, but Google can eat my (laughs) with a spoon. There's another NFT. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw up on <laughs> So I successfully burned the bridge of working at Google? <laughs> Probably. How do you even follow that? Yeah, I know. Like, where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least to me, it was an, it was an interesting approach because I... I think in, in tech, I, I, I stay pretty close to these like patent infringing lawsuits. Most of these, like the majority of these are just patent trolls. They want their pound of flesh. And, you know, Sonos had a legitimate claim and for Google to take this alternative approach instead of just paying them. Like a lot of times they, they do just end up paying and licensing, but they have, they agree that says, we'll we'll effectively cripple our customers rather than, than pay you guys. And that's their stance. All right, for our last topic, and it'll be a rotating topic every week, this week we're going to be talking about the recent Consumer Electronics Show, which took place here in the U.S. last week. Samsung gave us three things absolutely no one was asking for. Number one, a foldable tablet with a folding LCD screen. Number two, an NFT-enabled smart TV. And number three, a keyboardless laptop. So we can talk about these... In at least in my opinion, useless tech that they announced at CES. Don't buy, don't buy. So the third one is a tablet. That it's, was that was the, no, the no. new keyboardless keyboard laptop. Keyboardless laptop. So it folds yeah. in half. So, it so folds a at, at the hinge like a laptop, but then it's it's like two tablets with a hinge. I guess you would call it. Wow, that's like wiping before pooping. That don't make no sense. Do you think that would actually take wow. off? I've seen those before, like the the ones where like it projects like the LED or the, the light onto the to the the table, and you just sit there and type, and there's nothing, there's no feedback. Do you think that will actually ever take off? 
So no. there's there's two sides of this. Yeah. So so me personally, I don't think it'll ever take out because for me, I, I need that tactile feel of a keyboard, and there's no virtual option that's ever as good as like a physical keyboard. But on the other side of it, you know, back in 2007, many BlackBerry users doubted the future of keyboardless phones when the iPhone came out. So we'll have to see who wins out on this one. That uh, Neuralink would probably be more of a reality than a keyboardless keyboard <laughs> or computer keyboardless. You know what I mean? At, at some point in time, I just want to be able to sit there and think and just have stuff happen. It's like, although that could be dangerous to get into Brian's stream of consciousness of just like seeing what kind of stuff comes out on onto the screen when that happens. That's like intention-based networking. Yeah. Yeah. My life would be so much easier if I just thought things and just happened. Isn't that already what you do? You put it on a whiteboard and somebody else does the work. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much, right? If I can just think it and yeah. it shows up, then life is even better. So I, I don't know if you guys have, have caught this, but the more interesting thing for me from CES is a combination of uh, two things called matter and thread that are starting to gain a lot of traction in the industry. So matter, formerly known as Project Chip or CHOIP, which is connected home over IP, is a um, standardized application layer pro protocol for managing smart home devices. So we're starting to get into a position where as an industry, we're starting to see all of the major players get behind this so that you're going to have one single, you know, the theory, the marketing vision is, is one standard to rule them all. And yeah, I'm sure you guys know the like... XK, XKCD, you know, yeah. <laughs> the comic where we need a new standard to rule them all. Now we've got 17 standards. Yeah. So Z-Wave, Zigbee, Wi-Fi. Well, so you've got Z-Wave, Zigbee, uh, four, 433 megahertz, low megahertz, like there's all of these things, right? Um, but going along with Matter, what's super interesting about it for us is it runs over IP. And Thread is the Zigbee, the same 802.15.4 radio with IPv6 on top of it. So we're now getting into a situation where um, there's a couple of things there. Uh, we now have and can pot potentially apply security in the way that we all do in an IP-based world on our IoT devices. And we might actually see IPv6 actually getting deployed. It might be 2022, the year of IPv6. It's finally here. I'm going you with... guys heard, heard it here first. <laughs> I'm going with a completely different direction. I'm going to go out on Craigslist and see if I can just hire someone, name him something or her, something cool and lethal like Trigger. And this, like your sole goal in life is just to answer my commands in the house. But hey, Trigger, turn on the uh, the microwave, right? They just get up, scurry <laughs> over to the kitchen, push the timer for 30 seconds. Hey, Traeger, go ahead and uh, you know close the garage and just take off. That thing, I think, would be a lot more reliable than some of the smartphone stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's actually what my dad said. Is isn't that why we had kids? <laughs> Eventually, they grow up and leave. The, the first smart assistant, the original smart assistants. Yep, I could uh, pour uh, two fingers of Orion Coke, and I had those needle nose flyer pliers when I had to change the uh, the channel on my UHF TV. Yes. Going back to your, your the three products, I'm with you, man. Like, so number one, I think we all kind of agree the keyboardless laptop is dumb. Maybe who knows? Uh, the NFT enabled smart TV, I have no idea where that's really going to go. And the folding LCD screens, like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with that. Like, I don't see the utility of it. But then again, like, I was wrong about a lot of stuff, right? So in life, 
I thought nobody would ever go to the cloud. And now I work for a cloud security company. So don't listen to me or do the opposite. One of the two. NFTs in general, it, it just makes me shake my head that this is a thing. But at the same time, I also think that, you know, maybe this is the, if I, if I put away my cynical nature and just take an altruistic response, it's a way for us to give money to artists. And I, I do admire that that has this altruistic goal and, and it could actually achieve that goal, but as a, a way to own something that's digital as, as that, yeah, whatever. It's better. It's better. It's more of a way to launder money, Chris. Come on. Here's here. That's really what it's about. Yeah. There's that as well. Yeah. Like an, now we're NFT, back to enabled, like an <laughs> NFT enabled TV. I'm like, doesn't that defeat the purpose of an NFT? Like, why not just get a virtual picture frame, which literally every smart TV can do today because like the, like the purpose of an NFT is, is for the metaverse where you can create rules that say only the NFT owner can have this item. But in the real world, like where I'm going to put this real TV, like you can't put in such constraints. Like you can't say, I'm the only one that can display this on my TV because no, someone will just take a screenshot of it and pl plug it in on their TV. Can you imagine buying that? Like, hey guys, uh, come over to my house. What are we doing? Going to watch the Super Bowl? Going to have a you know crazy party, barbecue? Nah, man, we're going to stare at you know this NFT of Brian uh, you know, tying his shoes. <laughs> like, wow. What a time to be alive. But I'll tell you, we created a great, my son got a great NFT and a great, I mean, best nft in the world we have to figure out a way how to how to get this out there well we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week dad joke of the week this week our guest chris is up so christopher robin walks into the bathroom and sees tigger you know head down all the way in the bowl and says tigger what are you doing tigger looks at him and very seriously says i'm looking for poo <laughs> that joke is adorable <laughs> <laughs> and it has the word poo in it. How can you go wrong, you right? Bet. It's a dad joke. Man, show up. You're, you are welcome back anytime. <laughs> All right, to wrap things up, supply chain attacks are alive and well and prove to be highly effective. APT crews are going old school with mailing out infected USB devices. Google is cheaping out and removing features rather than paying a license for them. And no one is looking forward to a foldable tablet or a keyboardless laptop. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. Note that as of January 1st, 2022, Spotify now allows you to review podcasts, and we would appreciate it if you can give us a five-star review. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and our guest Chris Young, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day. Later. <laughs>